Thank you for joining us for another episode of our award-winning podcast. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. We're here to unravel the mysteries of the financial markets, and today we're tackling a paper that delves into the deep waters of investment strategies in the face of market uncertainties. That's right. Today's paper is Worst Case Optimal Investment in Incomplete Markets by Sasha Desmeth, Sebastian Merkel, Annalena Mikkel, and Alexander Steinecke a paper that addresses the essential aspects of constructing investment portfolios under uncertain conditions. To provide context, this paper is a beacon in the field as it extends the concept of worst-case portfolio optimization in the presence of so-called crash scenarios. The beauty of their approach is the use of backward stochastic differential equations, or BSDEs, which is a sophisticated mathematical concept allowing the researchers to characterize and solve optimal strategies in uncertain market environments. For those unfamiliar, let's briefly explain what BSDEs are. These equations relate to the way martingales, a class of stochastic processes, evolve over time. Through BSDEs, we can model how investment strategies may change with market conditions, which could include random shifts, jumps, or even crashes. And the key findings. The researchers managed to not only characterize the indifference optimal strategies in such volatile conditions, but also looked at the existence of these strategies in markets where you cannot fully hedge against risks. Before we dive in further, it's crucial to understand the environment we're dealing with. Incomplete markets are scenarios where not all risks can be perfectly hedged away due to constraints, such as regulations or a lack of financial instruments. Now, onto the core discussion. The researchers set out specific objectives to solve the worst-case optimal investment problem for an investor facing structural crashes and jump risks while dealing with stochastic market coefficients. Their methodology is robust. They use the martingale approach and the utility crash exposure transformation, extending the existing concepts to encompass stochastic market coefficients, which reflect real-world conditions more accurately. As for implications, this paper could significantly impact how investors approach portfolio construction, highlighting the importance of considering the worst-case scenarios and not just the average expected outcomes. For the conclusions, the study demonstrates for certain models like Heston's and Bates' stochastic volatility models and the Kim Omberg model for stochastic excess return that it's possible to derive explicit formulations for optimal strategies. And from a personal reflection standpoint, this paper doesn't just dig deep into theoretical finance, but offers crucial insights for practitioners on how to navigate murky waters where not all risks are visible or predictable. It's a lot to unpack, but overall, this paper broadens our understanding of portfolio optimization under extreme uncertainty, a topic that has grown in importance in our ever-volatile financial markets. Absolutely, Jen. For our listeners, it's important to remember that investment is not just about the best-case scenarios. Understanding and preparing for the worst might just be your best strategy. Join us next time as we further explore innovative research reshaping the financial landscape. And remember, keep your assets diversified and your investment strategy one step ahead of the curve. Until next time, keep questioning the norms and stay financially savvy. This has been Tom. And Jen, signing off. Thank you for listening. Ready for a commute that will put a spring in your step? 
we've got something special for you. Introducing Hyper Pogo Loop Inc., where the future of travel comes with a side of nostalgia and a whole lot of bounce. Ever fancied zigzagging your way across the city faster than a kangaroo on a caffeine rush? With Hyper Pogo Loop, you'll be propelled through gleaming pneumatic tubes on a pogo stick so advanced it practically defies gravity. Forget those snooze-worthy commutes. Our Gyrotech masterpiece ensures a smooth, stable bounce at breakneck speeds. Picture this, soaring through the Hyperloop, wind in your hair, views blurring by, all while working those calf muscles like a champ. Whether you're hopping to work or pogoing to a party, every trip is an adventure that will make your heart leap. Our motto says it all. Why roll when you can ricochet? Buckle up, or should we say, strap in your pogo stick for the ride of your life with Hyper Pogo Loop. So hop on over to our website and join the high-speed, high-fun revolution today. Brought to you by Hyper Pogo Loop, Inc., the sponsor of this zany, pogotastic podcast episode. And you thought your commute couldn't get any more exciting. Try Hyper Pogo Loop, and let's get bouncing. Welcome to today's episode, folks. We've got a hot topic on our hands. The efficacy of the sugar-free labels is reduced by the health-sweetness trade-off. This is going to be a sweet and sour discussion. Absolutely, Tom. And it's an especially pertinent topic, given the widespread concern about health and the foods we eat. Before we dive deep, let's set the stage with some important context about why this paper is significant. Right on, Jen. We're living in a time where non-communicable diseases like cardiovascular problems and diabetes are major health concerns. These are often linked to diet, particularly the overconsumption of processed foods and added sugars. Governments and companies have been trying to guide our dietary choices towards the healthier end of the spectrum with nutritional labels like sugar-free indicators. But here's the kicker. It's unclear how efficient these labels are at actually changing our choices. That brings us to this research from the HSE University in Moscow. They're examining the impact of sugar-free labels on how much people are willing to pay for food products, taking into account our perceptions of healthiness, sweetness, and tastiness. But before we get into the nitty-gritty, let's talk about some key concepts like the becker degroot marshak auction. It's a method used in this study to determine the true value participants place on items and we're going to need to understand structural equation modeling. This is the statistical magic that helps us explore complex relationships, like how the sugar-free label and perceived product characteristics affect what people are willing to pay. With that groundwork laid, let's jump into the core of this paper. The researchers conducted an experiment where participants bid on both sugar-containing and sugar-free products. They analyzed the bids using the aforementioned techniques to tease out the effects of those labels on our decisions. What they found was pretty interesting. Yeah, Tom, sugar-free labels did initially increase the willingness to pay because these products were seen as healthier. But, and it's a big but, this effect was canceled out by a decrease in perceived sweetness and, by extension, tastiness. That's right, Jen. The researchers called this the health-sweetness trade-off. In essence, people are less keen to pay more for something they don't think will taste as good, even if it's healthier. And this brings us to the implications and applications. What does this all mean for the food industry and public health messaging? Well, it's complicated, as you might imagine. Indeed it is, Jen. 
it seems that just slapping a sugar-free label on products might not be the magic bullet for encouraging healthier choices. That's why this paper is so significant. It provides evidence that could help shape future policies and marketing strategies that are more effective at nudging consumer behavior. And in conclusion, friends, we've got a nuanced situation on our hands. Sugar-free labels have a role, but it's not as straightforward as we once thought. Our personal reflection? This study opens up a fascinating conversation on how we make choices as consumers, and it shows that there's a delicate balance between perceptions of health and taste. Couldn't have said it better myself, Jen. We've got to consider the wider implications of this research in our lives. It's not just about labels. It's about our health, our taste buds, and making informed choices. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And remember, keep questioning, keep learning, and let's make informed decisions for a healthier and sweeter life ahead. Have you ever been in the middle of a seance and thought, you know what this ghost party needs? A kazoo. Say no more, spooky toonsters, introducing the ghostly groove kazoo from Kazoo Cloud Spectral Sonata Lilted. Forget about complicated summoning spells, just blow into this enchanted kazoo and watch the afterlife come alive with rhythm. With spectral vibrations woven into each note, you'll be the hit at every haunted house or paranormal party. Whether you want to serenade a spirit or just jazz up your exorcism, these kazoos are your ticket to the supernatural side of music. And if your kazoo hits a sour note, our Poltergeist customer support is there to help, whether by phone, crystal ball, or Ouija board. So don't just raise the roof, raise the dead. Grab your ghostly groove kazoo today and let's get spooky. Both. Sponsored by Kazoo Cloud Spectral Sonata Lidded, where the afterlife is just a breath away. Welcome, esteemed listeners, to another episode of our podcast, where we delve into fascinating and impactful research across a variety of fields. Today, we're excited to bring you an incredibly thoughtful discussion on a topic that is of great significance in both urban studies and migration patterns. That's right, Tom. We're going to unpack the paper titled Urban Economics of Migration in the Cities of the Northeast Region of Brazil by Denise Cristina Bomtempo from Universidade Estadual do Ceará. This paper sheds light on how geographical science enhances our understanding of international migration in the 21st century. To give you a bit of context, this paper is a significant contribution to its field as it maps new international migration routes within the varied urban landscapes of Brazil. Since the 1990s, Regional policies have attracted economic investment, intensifying migratory movements with diverse profiles. It's fascinating, Tom. This paper primarily focuses on the economic activities of African migrants in the Northeast region, especially in the city of Fortaleza in Ceará, and how they contribute to an emerging urban economy driven by migration. We're talking about a detailed exploration of how migrant activities intersect with urban economics. Before we dive into the paper's core, let's talk about why it's so significant. As we know, urban economics and migration are intrinsically linked. The movement of people impacts local economies, demographic shifts, and urban development. This paper offers a contemporary view on this phenomenon in a region that has traditionally been a source of emigration. Exactly. And it's important to note that the paper takes a geographical perspective, moving away from pure statistical analysis. 
Instead of focusing just on the migrants themselves, the paper examines the spaces and territories, the dynamics influenced by structural and conjunctural forces, and how they carve the trajectory of those involved in the migratory processes. With that backdrop, let's delve deep into the core of the paper, where Bomtempo details the research objectives, methodologies, and key findings. It's clear from the offset that traditional data sources weren't sufficient, so qualitative procedures were integrated to deeply understand the migration dynamics. Indeed, and the results are illuminating. The paper highlights that international migrations and investments by these migrants are diversifying the urban economies in Brazilian cities. Migrants carry out activities linked to both the higher and lower circuits of the urban economy, directly influencing formal and informal sectors. The implications are far-reaching, Jen. These findings have the potential to impact the field through policy recommendations, urban planning, and better integration strategies for migrants. Understanding these dynamics can promote economic growth and enhance social cohesion within urban settings. Now, to wrap things up in our conclusion, we really must emphasize the broader relevance of this study. Migration is not just a human story, but an economic one as well. Whether it's the lower circuit activities of Senegalese street vendors or the upper circuit undertakings of telecommunication companies like Angola Cables SA, each narrative contributes to an overarching urban economy shaped by migration. That's right. And personally, I find it remarkable how these activities aren't just economically significant, they're also culturally resonant. They're a testament to the diversity and adaptability of cities and how migration continuously redefines urban spaces. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this detailed discussion. Our reflections on this paper highlight the critical intersections of urban economics, migration, and policy. The work of Denise Christina Bomtempo not only captures systemic transitions, but also human stories that drive economic changes in the urban fabric of Brazil. It's been an enlightening episode, and we thank you all for tuning in. Do check out our show notes for more information on the paper and the author. Until next time, stay curious. And stay informed. Goodbye for now, and we look forward to having you join us on our next exploratory journey into the world of cutting-edge research. Have you ever had a breakfast that sings to you, Jen? Sings to me? Tom, my breakfast doesn't even say good morning. Well, hold on to your syrup, because today's podcast is brought to you by the Enchanted Pancake Emporium. The Enchanted Pancake Emporium? Do tell. Imagine a place where your pancakes pirouette on your plate while pouring their own syrup. Sounds sticky, but go on. At the Enchanted Pancake Emporium, your breakfast won't just fill you up. It'll put on a show. Ever seen a flapjack do the samba? Can't say I have, but I'm enchanted by the idea. And you should be. With a secret blend of magical batter and a sprinkle of pixie dust, these griddle masters serve up the most spell-binding stacks this side of sunrise. I'd love to bite into a blueberry bliny belting out Broadway hits. But what if I'm craving something with a little more drama? They've got you covered with the melodramatic hotcake. It might even shed a tear of maple syrup as you take a bite. <laughs> At the Enchanted Pancake Emporium, they promise it's not just a meal. It's a show on a plate! Now, who's ready to order some pancakes with personality? I'm already planning my standing ovation. Pass the butter.
Welcome to today's episode of our podcast. We're diving into a fascinating topic today, how innovation shapes urban areas, with a deep dive case study from Fortaleza, Brazil. That's right, Jen. We'll unpack the complex relationships between innovation, industry, and urban spatial agglomeration through the lens of localized industrial systems, or LES. Before we get into it, let's clarify why this paper is significant. It offers a real-world insight into how regional entrepreneurship and innovation can bring about competitive advantages. Absolutely. The key concept we need to understand here is the productive spatial configuration, which is the unique way a region's innovative production process impacts its geography. And this is crucial to how industrial areas can reindustrialize and adapt in the face of global competition. Now, onto the core of our discussion. The researchers' objective was to analyze the localized clothing industry in Fortaleza. They used a variety of empirical tools to assess how economic, social, and political variables interplay in these urban agglomerations. Their findings pointed to a significant organizational innovation within Fortaleza's clothing production and distribution processes. This is where it gets interesting, Tom. Even though this innovation led to resilience and competitive advantages locally, it didn't always lead to systemic improvements. That's an important distinction, Jen. We need to consider how innovation impacts various scales and interacts with local dynamics to really assess its value. Now, the implications here are far-reaching. This kind of localized innovation can alter the field by showing how regions can harness their unique assets to remain competitive. And it's not just about technology. It's about how social, political, and economic factors converge to create a localized innovation landscape. In conclusion, it's clear that Fortaleza's LIS in the clothing sector showcases a nuanced interplay between innovation and spatial economics. Exactly. And while there are benefits, we also see a perpetuation of labor exploitation and informal work conditions. So this paper isn't just about innovation in a vacuum. It's about how innovation intersects with real-world social challenges. And that, Jen, is the broader relevance of this research. It's applicable to other regions looking to balance innovation with social equity. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on this fascinating journey through innovation and urban development in Fortaleza, Brazil. We'll see you next time for another deep dive into the compelling intersections of society, industry, and innovation. Are you tired of those hefty electricity bills clawing into your budget? Do you wish your adorable furball could contribute more to the household than just shedding and knocking things off counters? Well, feline fans, brace yourselves for Solar Whisk Perpetual Energy, Inc., the perfect fusion of sunbathing and catnapping has arrived. That's right, folks. Why chase the sun when you can harness the twitch of a tail or the flick of a whisker? With our state-of-the-art solar-powered cat whisker energy harvesters, your cat's every elegant motion is now a source of clean, renewable electricity. Forget solar panels. These whisker wonders are compact, adorable, and don't require a sunny day. Just stick them on, watch your cat prance about, and voila! energy bills that won't make you hiss. Keep your lights on with Purr Power and give a round of applause to Solar Whisk. Perpetual Energy Inc. Powering the future, one whisker quiver at a time. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast where we sift through the cutting edge of finance and technology. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we have a truly enticing topic for you, 
predicting risk-reward ratio in financial markets for asset management using machine learning. Now, why is this significant? Simply, the financial markets are a whirlpool of data and opportunity. Traders who can predict the market's movements stand to gain a lot, but not without considerable risk. To set the stage, financial markets are influenced by a dizzying number of factors political events, global economies, investor sentiments, and these factors are notoriously unpredictable. But here's where machine learning shows promise. Instead of trying to manually analyze this tsunami of data, we leverage computational power to uncover patterns and make predictions. Before we jump into the core of the research paper, let's clarify some terminology for our listeners. The risk-reward ratio compares the potential profit of a trade against the potential loss. A favorable ratio means the potential reward outweighs the risk. Machine learning is a form of artificial intelligence that allows software applications to become more accurate at predicting outcomes without being explicitly programmed to do so. In the context of financial markets, we're particularly interested in two types of predictive models. Regression models, which predict a future price, and classification models, which predict the market's direction, up or down. The paper we're dissecting today introduces a novel algorithm that forecasts trading outcomes in terms of profit and loss, tailoring recommendations to maximize potential gains and manage risk. This method is particularly designed for algorithmic trading. It assists traders in assessing the profitability of each trade and determining the optimal trade size. Beyond traditional trading strategies, the findings suggest that this machine learning method significantly boosts performance a veritable breakthrough in asset management. Let's dive into the methodology. The researchers used historical data from Bitcoin trading, specifically looking at the hourly OHLCV, that stands for Open, High, Low, Close Volume, from February 2017 to June 2023. They didn't just throw this raw data into their model, though. It went through pre-processing, calculation of technical indicators, feature normalization, data truncation, etc. The actual models were built using XGBoost, a powerhouse in the machine learning world that's known for its performance with structured data like financial time series. And here's where it gets really sciency. The paper talks about triple barrier labeling, which is a way to label data points for training based on price and time barriers, essentially allowing the model to learn from price movements within a certain time frame and price range. Okay, now the key findings. The model was back-tested with Bitcoin data across different timeframes, and the results were promising, right, Tom? Absolutely, Jen. The back-testing showed that this methodology, particularly when combined with risk management strategies like the Kelly criterion, was more effective at producing profitable trades compared to other strategies. And speaking of the Kelly criterion, that's a formula used to calculate the optimal size of a bet, or in our case, a trade to maximize growth based on the probability of winning and the win-loss payoff ratio. The implications here are huge. With more accurate predictions of risk and reward, traders can manage their portfolios more effectively, optimizing for higher returns while keeping risk in check. But it's not without its limitations. The model needs careful tuning, and it's yet to be tested in various market conditions and asset classes. That said, as we conclude, the paper points toward a future where machine learning could dramatically change the landscape of trading strategies and risk management. It marries predictive prowess with smart trade sizing, 
offering a sophisticated tool for financial decision-making. Join us next time as we continue to navigate the complex waters of finance and tech, maybe exploring how these models handle market anomalies or black swan events. Until then, I'm Jen. And I'm Tom, wishing you clear skies in all your financial forecasts. Have you been looking for a laptop that's both functional and enchanting? Look no further. Witch Tech Cauldron Computers has brewed up something special just for you. Introducing the Spellbook Pro 3000, the laptop that makes multitasking a magical experience. Crafted from the finest dragon scales, this cauldron-shaped wonder is your new companion for both potion brewing and tweeting. Tired of keyboards that don't stir your creativity? Well, the cauldron keyboard on this baby swirls and whirls like a real witch's brew. And don't forget the touchpad crystal ball. Just gaze and swipe to navigate through your mystical tasks. With hexacore processors blending digital and arcane powers, it's like having a tech-savvy familiar at your fingertips, minus the furballs. Wave goodbye to frustrating password inputs. Wand wave recognition lets you log in with a flourish of your wand. And for those wild coven gatherings, Worry not about spills, for every WitchTech laptop is fully potion-proof. Plus, that lifetime supply of Screenshine Elixir keeps your midnight research sessions crystal clear. Join the coven of satisfied customers with WitchTech Cauldron Computers. Because at WitchTech, we're enchanting your digital brew. Now back to our podcast. Oh, and don't hex the messenger for making you want one. Brew it up at WitchTech.